right where you're sitting now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 56 of Right Where You're Sitting Now, the podcast for the website sittingnow.co.uk. Oh man, what a week, what a week, what a week. Things suddenly got very busy for me. (laughs) Um, So this episode's about two days late, but I apologise for that. Um, We are trying to stay on schedule, but at least we're still weekly, so that's a good thing. As you're probably noticing, I am once again on my own in the intro. That's because this is actually an older episode. This is um, an episode... Uh, we recorded this two episodes back, I think it was. Two episodes back, uh, we did an interview with Alan Greenfield, Alan H. Greenfield, I should say. Um, and um, we, we we did a really long interview with him, and there's a lot of gold in there. Um, and we only included the first part of that interview. And then we got the opportunity to have Peter Gray on the show, so we thought, well, we should probably whack him in there because his book's out at the moment. Um and so yeah this is basically part two of that alan greenfield episode um he's very courteously and very patiently waited for us to post this and uh, we appreciate him very much for that and we hope to have him come on to some other things that we're doing soon so that's exciting stuff if you're a fan of mr greenfield and you should be really because he's a very nice man um and very knowledgeable and we really like him a lot um bit of house duty i suppose so yeah come and check us out on sitting now uh and sitting now come and check us out on instagram uh username sitting now um i'm really rubbish at posting there but i have a plan of stuff i'm going to start posting i've been looking at how all the other guys do it and uh i think i'm getting an idea you can always follow me personally on uh instagram as well which is at ken eakins which is e-a-k-i-n-s and um also subscribe to us on on the you know uh podcast platforms like uh itunes and spotify and i don't know do they do reviews still reviews used to count i don't know if they do anymore i'm I'm an i'm an old man at this stuff these days (laughs) so i don't know subscribe and do all that business and share us around and we've got a lot of really really cool and interesting stuff coming um especially on our youtube channel also search for sitting now one word and you will find our youtube channel um where we upload you know i guess video versions of these interviews but we're also um we have a bit of a backlog of stuff on there we we did a some event coverage for scarlet imprint which is peter gray from the last show's company he did a couple of events in brighton our hometown and um we recorded and you know put out all the talks from those shows or at least most of them um but yeah so you know we've got a lot of stuff already up there and um we've got some stuff which i've already started shooting so that's exciting so we've we're on our way in terms of video content um so yeah this week we as i said earlier we got back together with alan greenfield well we didn't we returned to our original get together with alan greenfield um but uh and it's you know fun times had by all it's a bit of a shorter interview than usual um i think it comes in at about 55 minutes um we tend to go a bit longer than that but you know it's it's you're getting some extra greenfield so that's always good and i will speak to you after the interview You were you were wanting to say that you wanted to step away from the OTO topic, and I wondered if I could ask you a little question about the secret cipher, because uh, I got your book in the 90s and was really fired up by it. I made myself a little um, dictionary of 
dictionary, is that the right word? Like a numerology dictionary of various correlations that I was finding through the uh, through the cipher. And I'm just curious as to how someone using the cipher, uh, in your opinion, is able to determine between sort of meaningful correlations and the just the law of averages of if you chuck enough words in they will come up with certain values i would have lists of word a list under say number 45 a list of words and i'd be able to see connections between certain uh certain words and other words it would perhaps be a bit more oblique and i'm curious as to what uh you feel is the way for determining whether you've made a valid connection or whether you're just selecting things that you can sort of mash together? First, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the first things that I wrestled with. There being an infinite number of numbers, theoretically, and a near infinite number of letter combinations, you can get it to say anything. Uh, As uh, one of my friends uh, Uh, the late Jim Mosley put it in his magazine, Saucer Smear. He said, oh, well, you can make it say uh, Barney is a purple dinosaur. And using the, you know, uh, yes, you can force it just like any kind of Kabbalah, including uh, Hebrew and Greek Kabbalah going back uh, to to antiquity. Um, But if you have some good working knowledge of probability theory Um, and also the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I would, uh, for my own satisfaction, because I assumed that people would pick this up and do things with it like uh, if uh, I'm just pulling this out of out of my ear, how's that? (laughs) Who does that do? my left ear at that. Um, but you come up with the name, uh, the alien told me he was Fitzik from the planet Boo And you say, how do you spell that? B-O-O-W-O, which raises the question in context, of course, did he spell it for you? Uh, how did Al Bender know that it was pronounced K, but it was spelled K-Z-I-K? Did the Men in Black tell him that it's, you know, that you, you see those things and you can make a lot out of it, whatever. Uh, I assume that people would do what you did, but you're the first person I've talked to who said, I've actually worked with the cipher until two years ago when uh, the excellent, first excellent uh, series uh, on uh, documentary on uh field research on all of these things, uh, Hellier, um, was kind enough to credit my work. And since then, I hear from all kinds of people that are working with it in a variety of ways, even very far afield of it from anywhere that I've ever gone. But if there is a couple of things that you can do. First, there is the difficult to pin down sense of, does this fit or does it not fit? Because there's a signal to noise ratio. And if you come up with a name 
like orthon, and it has the same value as Jesus, and you have that that whole uh, uh, Yamsky affair, which was uh, shortly after George Adamski died. Uh, actually, I, he's buried at the Arlington National Cemetery because he was in World War One, and my friend Jim Mosley informed me that he was also an exceedingly anti-Semitic person, which may be, but that doesn't invalidate uh, uh, the interesting nature of the word. Because basically, if you buy the Yamsky story, he rose from the dead. <clears throat> Only he picked your country to rise uh, instead of his native country, Poland, or his adopted country, the United States. And uh, there's a whole range of things there. It's in the book. If it fits well beyond chance expectation, you give it a probability above chance. If it just seems like noise, then you consider it part of the noise in the signal-to-noise ratio. If the ratio is viable, if it makes sense, if it's uh, more than chance would allow on a consistent basis, then you say there's probably something to this. You have to develop a feel for it. And as I said, I think two things are helpful. One is having a good general knowledge of the subject matter of both uh, occultism and specifically the, the whole uh, Crowleyan uh, uh, Class A document thing, which, you know, you can take that literally or metaphorically or think that it's communication not unlike other trans-channeling uh, things before and since the uh, uh, Hospi is that what it's called, uh, uh, channeled at about the same time as Liberal and uh, the, the Urania book, which was also channeled at about the same time. Um, that makes sense to me, and I'll buy into that to the extent that I think channeling is tuning into something of significance. But I try to apply uh, the principles of people like uh, Dean Redden uh, uh, of looking at averages and various reports and probability theory and seeing if there is a valid pattern. And uh, I wouldn't say there is proof that it's not random, but there is strong evidence that it's not random, which is precisely the same as the evidence for telepathy and uh, uh, remote viewing and near-death experiences and a bunch of other uh, things that are <clears throat> barely fringe science but have some very, very serious people with good academic credentials that, uh, that follow it. Is that a fair answer to your... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So one thing uh, you were talking about Hellier earlier on, and uh, obviously that's become a bit of a, you know, thing. A, a, a thing. Yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I watched both series and had some questions about more about um, their use of synchronicity. And um, I don't know, maybe you could throw some insight on this. It, it seemed that there were some genuine <clears throat> synchronicities going on there, but there also seemed to be a... Do you feel that perhaps they maybe got wrapped up in finding synchronicities that were like we were discussing earlier they were below the the line of probable um synchronicities if you know what i mean there did seem to be a fair amount of um i'm trying to think of the right word like confirmation bias i suppose sometimes um in what they were doing but but generally i felt it was you know it was it was it was a good investigation but I don't know. It, it, how it, I guess it's may, maybe in the same way. It's the same question as Ulysses. It's um, how do you how do you kind of how do you stop yourself? I guess from from seeing everything as a synchronicity um, and you know sort of getting too wrapped up in. It's a bit like Kabbalah, isn't it? You have to kind of go mad almost to uh, <laughs> to really understand it. But how do you how do you kind of stop that from happening and and kind of um, potentially devaluing the actual synchronicities that are occurring um, around you kind of thing. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I see it. I <clears throat> There's a part of me that is inclined to think that synchronicities, uh, as Jung defined it, are much more common and usually unnoticed um, than is generally thought even by people who understand the, the notion altogether. That's A. B, uh, one of the things I really like about Hellyer is these are a group of relatively young people with a clean slate. C, or three, which am I doing? Numbers or letters? It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's the third in line, which the letter C is third, unless you're doing the cipher, in which case W is third in line, but that's a whole different subject, and we've already covered it. <laughs> and you can read the books if you haven't, and that will help me because I have a wonderful publisher. I have two wonderful publishers now that actually pay royalties and don't run off with uh, the uh, the church funds, as it were. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I've actually had that happen um, when you're almost famous you get screwed over quite a bit and mm. uh, it happens and you just have to uh, go with the flow if you're you're in a somewhat marginalized uh, area mm. which is it's certainly the case with the occult with ufos with uh, cryptid research with even paranormal research it has some academic standing uh at in certain institutions and there are professional people that are involved but it's still marginal and uh, after a very very long time from the birth of the SPR through Dr. Ryan's experiments through the very very convincing work that the late Ian Stevenson did at the University of Virginia on reincarnation cases um, among children not hypnosis cases, which is a whole different ballgame. Anyway, getting back to, to Hellyer as such, these are 
fresh people. They've been ghost hunters since they were teenagers for the last 20 years, I believe uh, uh, Dana Newkirk uh, mentioned. And uh, not involved in any of these other things. The very freshness of the way they documented their field research as opposed to the um, ghost hunter type uh, television uh, standard, you know, like I said, the two plumbers that with a uh, temperature gauge and go into an allegedly haunted house and they hear a rat in the wall and they go, <gasps> you know, that's really <clears throat> not kosher. And they are because I've done a lot of field investigations and even the blind alleys that they get, they show. And that is precisely what a real field investigation is like. Sometimes mm. the magic works, sometimes it doesn't. It's very much like magical operation, isn't it? It's like um, the, one of the good things you could say about Crowley is that he catalogued his failures as much as his successes, I suppose. And um, that's kind of one of the reasons I think I, I find Crowley endearing anyway. I, I find that, yeah, so it's it, what you're saying. It's kind of like the same thing in a way. They're, they're kind of showing the failures as well as the successes, I guess. Exactly. Mm. Um, I pointed out some things that seemed like failures but weren't because uh, the magical aspect is relatively new to them. Mm. So I pointed out that in that... Uh, First of all, I have a long anecdote that I'm not going to share tonight, but if you ever invite me back, I will, although I won't use names. Invocations of Pan, there's a reason that panic comes from Pan. Mm. It's not something you want to invoke in a mine shaft that may be full of bears in the back who get hungry or disturbed. But aside from that, you get what you ask for. And they had been searching for entered cold Indrid Cole, Indrid Cole, they do this mm, sort of witchy magical circle, which was okay, uh, but they're asking for Pan to appear in uh, an abandoned mine shaft where <clears throat> they had previously been looking for goblins. Uh, or something, I mean, that term was, you know, not in the original reports that they were following, but it did fit the description and the much earlier case. And in truth, um, that whole area is uh, a bonanza for people like that. So they did this ritual, actually, Dana Newkirk uh, conducted it, and they all participated in it. And they didn't get pan, but they got cold. And I said, well, you've been asking for injured cold for months, and you get cold when you invoke pan. Uh, coincidence? <laughs> Possibly. But the temperature underground, uh, I've done my share of spelunking, is constant. There aren't any warm and cold periods. So... I would call it a success that they thought was 
of limited success. But uh, as I pointed out to them, I believe on the on the program, but certainly uh, offline, as it were, uh, that the, the whole approach that they take of following following where the um, synchronicities lead, right or wrong about a specific one, is an initiation itself. You don't need to do a formal ritual. I mean, you can. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but the entire process seems to be their initiation into the world of the unknown beyond ghost hunting or uh, curiosity seeking or the kind of stuff you see in these television programs uh, that allegedly are about one or another of these subjects, always neatly packaged in ye old extraterrestrial hypothesis, uh, which I've always found puzzling. I mean, no UFO has ever been seen coming from outer space. They're seen either just above the Earth or on the Earth. But from day one, it was either natural phenomena or it was beings from other planets. Now, from a sociological perspective, why were those the only two possibilities that were put forth? Um, I don't know. Um, when I was a small child, uh, which I was born after the war, but uh, um, my, my parents liked to go to Miami Beach uh, every July. And I was wading in the water uh, in the ocean. And there were other kids wading in the ocean. And I see the contrail of a jet, which was a new thing at that time. And so I thought, oh, that's a contrail of a jet or whatever kid, kid talk, the equivalent of that is. In other words, I knew it was something of this earth. But I heard another kid further down the beach saying, there goes a soul ascending into heaven. And I don't know whether there's a heaven, and I am not absolutely sure whether there's a soul, but I don't think they leave an exhaust trail. So, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing. Your, your conclusions have something to do with, well, post-war, high tech is coming into fashion. They must be from Mars. And when Mars turned out to be uh, if it was ever inhabited, it was inherited, inhabited millions of years ago, and we may be the Martians, which would kind of make Darwin uh, need uh, to revise his theories. But he's in uh, what, Westminster Cathedral, all decomposing, like, <laughs> like a... A good evolutionist should. So <laughs> that's a steal from a line about Beethoven. What's he doing now? I know what he was doing. What, what's he doing? He's decomposing. He <laughs> 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 so actually, I, I, I'm going to pinch one of uh, Ulysses's uh, questions here. Is um, 
what do you feel currently is the kind of the cutting edge of of kind of uh, occult studies like um if we're in a kind of you know internet world now should we be should there be you know more uh advanced methods of occult study or do, do you think the old way is still the, the best way or you know what's your take on kind of modern occultism i guess um it's become too popular for people who really have no scientific training to mm. try to assess the veracity or lack thereof in all of these areas. Now, there have been some efforts to guide it, but uh, the best I can say is the best days of the SPR were a long time ago, and they did very thorough research by uh, very reputable people. Now it's sort of like uh, the Theosophical Society. Uh, I went to one or two of their meetings because somebody was speaking that I knew. And it's really kind of sad. Their charter here was issued, I think, in 1910. But it's, you know, a little group of old people talking about uh, – sort of thing that you can get in the Unitarian Church, which is to say, not much of anything. Um, it's, um, it's time for a new generation to pick it up and see it differently, because uh, as uh, the late Jean Duplantier said, it's like a long walk down an endless tube. Laboratory experiments rely on something that just isn't there, which is repeatability, because people get exhausted. I worked for five years for the Psychic Friends Network. Uh, I did not get three ninety nine a, a talk minute. I got twenty five cents, and when they upped me to master psychic, whatever the that is, um, bleep, um, I got. 35 cents a talk minute, which was a meager salary, but I could do it from home. And that's home is where the uh, heart is. It's also where the bathroom is, which is also important. But um, uh, people want you to be able to do really, really major things on cue. And believe me, I did the graveyard shift, the night shift, the late night shift, pretty much what I'm doing right at the moment, even though you've got the, the sun shining. Oh, I'm sorry. That's in England. The sun doesn't shine. <laughs> the sun for decades. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm hearing the Beatles in my head. Sitting in the English garden, waiting for the sun to come. Okay, that's my... <laughs> Beatles moment. Um, <laughs> so can I can I ask then? Do you think? Uh, and it's a it's a sort of strange word to use, I guess. Do you think progress is being made in the uh, occult slash UFO kind of world in terms of uh, decoding what's going on? And do you think we're actually getting anywhere? Uh, yeah. What's your take? I'm not sure that we can get to an ultimate answer because, as I said, we're not hardwired for what I th suspect strongly is going on. 
but I think we can get a lot closer to the, if there's such a thing exists, absolute truth than we are now. And we're certainly closer post Keel and Valet and uh, post Hellier. I think we're moving in the right direction. There are some things in academic parapsychology that are a lot better. Uh, much of it done by the Institute for Noetic Sciences, which uh, was founded by uh, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who walked famously on the moon. But uh, Dean Radden seems to be the uh, mover and shaker of, of, of that. And his books do things like taking all the studies that have been reported and allowing for the fact that some people tend to not record, quote, failures, which in a laboratory setting, there's no such thing. I mean, there are positive and negative results, but he made an effort to assess from the Rhine period to the quite recently, 21st century, and uh, doing a, what do they call that uh, in academia? The a, a cross. Uh, somebody help me here. There's a term for it. A, a, a study that looks at the probability of it being greater than chance in a, a study of all the studies. Oh, um, and, uh, meta-analysis. Yeah, yeah, meta-analysis. Mm. And Raiden did that. Radden, Radden, I've never met him, although he was at a convention that I've spoken at, but these things happen. Um, and if you do a meta-analysis, um, the results are very convincing that at a minimum, the big four or five or six uh, overwhelmingly are likely to exist. And if they do, it opens up a whole world of things. Now, individual studies have been done for a very long time. Some anecdotal, some of them laboratory, some of them field studies. <clears throat> but a meta study is going to really show you whether, you know, the lucky hit is just a lucky hit or whether it's part of a bigger whole. So that's progress from the academic point of view. And by God, Hellier is a big step over UFO hunters, ghost hunters, and all kinds of hunters. So yeah, it, yep. Yep. in magic, the problem is you have these dogmatic hierarchical organizations. They tend to be... Uh, <clears throat> so dogmatic that they basically are a church. And uh, that's fine. A belief system is okay by me as long as it's not one that's going to blame the Jews for COVID. You know, I, <laughs> that's, that's my personal interest. But um, um, it's not a way to do scientific research. I had a long conversation when I stood in very well in the OTO, not to get back into that, but just one anecdote. I spent a long evening uh, 
with Dave Scriven, the U.S. Grandmaster, at his home, trying to tell him, why don't we establish some of the same protocols they use in parapsychology to assess whether these initiations do anything positive for the people who are initiated. And I gave this whole rap about parapsychology and about how you test for that and uh, going in questionnaire and a coming out questionnaire and blah, blah. And he listened politely and I talked like I'm doing on this show over and over and at great length. And that was the end of it. I mean, he didn't say, oh, that's stupid uh, or Oh, that's going to cause you a Grand Lodge office. That's the difference between him and his boss. But as far as I'm aware, for the 20 years I was there and the 10 years after I had said that to him, nothing has been done to put formal initiations on a scientific basis because they're not scientific. They're encounters. Um I alternately think of the Gnostic Mass as a come on for the organization or as a mystery play. And now they think of it as a religious ceremony. And um, uh, I follow the most liberal form of Judaism, which is not real heavy on dogma or uh, actually there are no dogma. So I, uh, <clears throat> as it became more of a religion, I became less involved emotionally in what was dogmatic. And the same applies to the Golden Dawn or the so-called Golden Dawn, the so-called AA or AAs, actually, um, and so-called OTOs. I mean, this notion of lineal succession is uh, of academic interest, but it doesn't carry with it any kind of egregore. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's a begots from <clears throat> and Abraham begot Isaac <laughs> and Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot a lot. But that's, you know, that's not where, that's not in any sense scientific it may well, be true or it may be anecdotal or it may be you know a, a, a folk tale told uh, and embellished over time but it's not science i wonder if i sorry uh, ken i'm not giving you any space here i wonder if i can jump in and ask another another question then because it's kind of um maybe has a bit more of a scientific element to it certainly uh the areas of the typhonian sort of traditions which really embraced contact with something other um and had very sort of creative methods of going about it and then um michael bertio's um system which I'm aware that you're familiar with and, I want, and I'm, has a scientific element to its approach. I wonder if you would share a bit of your uh, insights on that kind of thing. Because um, I think that's also, if to anyone who is from an OTO kind of background, Michael Bertio's stuff is extremely foreign. Yeah, but not exactly, because 
Bill Breeze was originally consecrated, empowered, as I would say, by Jack Hogg, uh, a mutual friend. Uh, and uh, Jack Hogg was a direct student of Michael Berdio. Um, and I have often said that of all of the people involved in the magical world that I have met, uh, I have learned more from Michael Berdio personally and in terms of his uh, monastery, the Seven The Zetherian metacomputers, I remember when I was a boy and being utterly baffled by by them. Um, so, so, yeah, well, I'd, just, I'd love that. Uh, I'd love a bit more of an inside uh, understanding of of what what was going on with Bertio's stuff. Hmm. It's um, I think Grant Morrison in his uh, I'm not going to call it a comic book, The Invisibles episode, uh, issue mm-hmm. that um, graphic novel. Yes, that's the term for comic books when adults read them. Uh, It's more succinct and on target about what Bertio is trying to convey to a public that generally speaking doesn't have a clue about what he's talking about Um, than anything else that I can just sort of throw away. Um, There are a few uh, analytical things on Bertio's work because it's a little of this, a little of that. It's exceedingly eclectic. And I used to say what he could use as a good editor and an index in his books. But, um, but they were all designed, the four-year course, uh, uh, the three-year course, and then essentially the Voodoo Gnostic workbook is the fourth year of the Monastery of the Seven Rays, uh, at least as I look at it. It was designed as a uh, sort of like um, Amorks uh, back in the days when people used hard copy mail. He would mail out one lesson, I don't know, a month, a week, whatever. All I know is they ran a full-page ad every issue of Fate magazine. So I don't know how widely it was dispersed, but it – probably was much more understandable to the people that were recipients, however many there were, to see it in a series of uh, short lessons going on for a period of years. It's a three-year course meant to be done in three years. The fourth year is meant to be a year. It took me a year to read the book. <clears throat> and I'm a, you know, medium reader. And I read voluminously. Is that a word? Sure it is. Yeah. But is it the word that I meant to use? <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> well, anyway, I think that it was uh, – easier to access in that form than in the collected uh, uh, courses. And my advice to anyone who wants to understand where Bertio is coming from is to read through it cover to cover, 
and then go back and read the parts that seem to resonate with you. Dog ear pages or put bookmarks in if you're particular. And those parts will sing to you and the rest of it will fall into place. It's not orderly, but it is as close to correct as anybody that I uh, have ever met. <clears throat> and he's a very powerful magician, as was Grant, by the way. Yeah. Another thing I begged Scriven to do, I said, look, Grant is getting on in years. This is, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, <clears throat> no, more than that. Uh, someone from the, I didn't say corporate, but I thought it, OTO ought to interview him, not as a rival, but as a person who personally knew Aleister Crowley when he was young, and when Grant was young. And uh, there are not a lot of people left that do. Well, it never happened as far as I'm aware. So angrily, Thor burned Boleskine down to punish them. <laughs> and I had nothing to do with it. I was out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think we'll probably have to put a bookmark in it, but I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to come back on the show very soon if that's okay uh, Alan because we've only really covered a, a fraction of the stuff that we could possibly talk about but uh, it's been it's been yeah. amazing it's been amazing having you on and if you're if you're game for it we'd be up for having you back on really soon um if you're obviously if you're available um but thank is there any projects you have coming up that um that you want to tell our listeners about any books coming out or any uh you know any 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 way you'd like to send our listeners to, to, you know, to find your latest output? If you haven't read the complete secret cipher of the euphonauts, you're not going to understand where I'm coming from. Never mind <laughs> where Vertigo is coming from. So, uh, and the, it's, I believe, I, I mean, I don't have anything to do with the publishing of the things. Uh, I don't think I even have a copy of it. Yeah, I do somewhere. Um, I get synchronicities whenever I read anything by Philip K. Dick, you know, mm -hmm. turn to the TV and there's, you know, a uh, man in the high castle program yeah. coming on. I didn't know anything about, I mean, it's, it's like that. <clears throat> so uh, that book has become part of the, uh, the mythos, if you want to call it that in the Campbell sense. Um, other books, some of my books are out of print, and you can get them from uh, A-Books or other obscure dealers, which, by the way, I don't get any royalties on, for outrageously high prices. Yeah, I was trying to buy Lieber 30, your version, you you edited Lieber 31, didn't you? Um, Fratera, yep. yeah. And I, the I've, only authorized edition, authorized by Picard's uh, son. Yeah, and he's, uh, I've, I tried picking up a copy but it's three hundred dollars on on abe books so i'm having to save up for that i think but uh yeah i'd love to, i really badly want to read that but like i said i just can't get hold of it it's a nightmare um yeah and i must say that was during my studious oto period where i was very into it so the footnotes that i did um are unique to that version i mean you can 
you know, pull down Libra 31 uh, online. By the way, it's interesting to me that uh, when the Hellier people, uh, that actual interview went on for like four hours, if you watch the blinking clock, which I wasn't even aware of until I, you know, saw the program or looked back uh, after the interview. I was too busy leaning back into the chair looking like uh, Brando playing the Godfather. (laughs) The balloons are really important. Uh, I have a book out that is not doing as well, and I think it's the title, although the other my other publisher thinks that it's not. <clears throat> it's called God Never Does the Same Thing Twice. And I assure you, it's not a religious book. It's a gonzo book and sort of my musings on reality. Oh, and uh, it's uh, it's worth a read. And Let's check it out. Yeah, that's, hmm. that's available from Amazon UK if you uh, have access to that or you know, all the usual online booksellers, uh, I believe, have it. Just don't buy it from one of the rare book people because they'll give you a used copy for $150 or something. But, I mean, it's current or reasonably current. And uh, let's see, I have another book coming out from Blue Star Press, which uh, played a significant role in Hellier in my one moment of psychic prophecy I said, you're not really appreciating the balloon thing. It's going to put a barrier in your path. And I swear to Jesus and Buddha, <laughs> I did not get in a jet, fly to wherever they were, Kentucky, and throw a balloon at the roots of a fallen tree and put it across the road. But a couple hours after they were uh you know, had interviewed me. They said, why did he keep talking about that balloon, that happy birthday balloon? It was, was, wait a minute, there's a barrier in our path. Look, there's a blue balloon. I I don't even know if they know even now that my other publisher is Blue Star Publishing. (laughs) I mean, it's just too much. We were talking about the serious mystery and all. It's uh, that's a synchronicity that doesn't require any analysis. And it made me feel a little weird when I heard about it. I thought, well, I didn't mean to, you know, harp on it. I just thought that it, they were underappreciating it, but uh, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. So you, and you also, let's see, what else? You wrote a book yeah, called I, The Hermetic Brotherhood of Light as well, I think, didn't you? Is that an uh, older book? or is Because uh, it keeps popping up in my Amazon. That's an older book. Yeah. But it was published in, um, oh, this satanic guy in... Sweden or somewhere. Uh, uh, you'd have to look on my Wikipedia page. I don't even remember the name of the publisher. But uh, if it's still in print, it's not in print on this side of the pond. So you may be able to find it for a reason. It's the, I shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. It's the better of the two books that came out almost simultaneously. I worked with the guys who did, uh, uh, what was it called, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, yeah. and and I did something that most field investigators don't do. I knew that a little town in North Georgia, which was settled mostly by Scotsmen, uh, or Scots, uh, what is the correct... <laughs> 
politically correct way of putting that now. Uh, you, you notice because in most towns in the deep, little towns in the deep south, there is a Baptist church and a Pentecostalist church and maybe uh, a, a Catholic church. But up there, uh, and a Methodist church, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me, John Wesley. Uh, I'm referring to John Wesley Harden, the uh, gunslinger. But I'm just kidding. Um, up there, it's all the um, Presbyterian churches everywhere. Because uh, that part of South Carolina crossing over into Georgia uh, was pioneered late, like in the 1880s and 1890s, by uh, Scottish people. So even their descendants are conservative, socially conservative people. And I knew if I was going to get any information about the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light from folks that were descended directly from Peter Davidson, the frontal chief uh, for a very long time, starting in Scotland and ending up in uh, Cleveland, Georgia, actually in a little town next to Cleveland, Georgia, that doesn't exist anymore. But um, the post office left, so the town closed down. It's just the way it's, it's just the way the state of Georgia is structured. But I went in ecclesiastical garb with a friend who was reliable and not given to saying really weird things. And I got uh, a direct descendant who, they all know that story. Everybody in that town knows about Peter Davidson. And uh, because you don't get a lot of famous people in Cleveland, Georgia. I mean, you know, ever heard of it? I <laughs> only knew the name, you know. Uh, it's even at least they call it Cleveland, not Cleveland, because uh, Cairo, Georgia is pronounced Cairo, Cairo, Georgia. I mean, it's just and Vienna, Georgia is Vienna. Uh, hmm. It's a legacy of the Confederacy, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, laugh, if you will. I grew <laughs> up in in that. <laughs> In that toxic environment. Yeah. But um, we, she didn't want to meet it at her home. And uh, uh, we apparently had the right Southern charm approach. I spent the first 10 years of my life in Augusta, Georgia, and I dropped into a, a passable version of Augusta Ease. Uh, mentioned uh, some spiritual stuff, and she told me that one of the investigators, not necessarily, I don't remember who it was, but it was a well-known investigator. She was a third grade teacher, and this guy walked into her classroom asking about the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light and Peter Davidson, and she said, after that, I've been reluctant to meet with anybody. And sure enough, the whole Davidson clan, apparently on her say-so, um, really told me and gave me materials going back to uh, Davidson that uh, that they would not have shared with anyone else, including the uh, 
uh, Peter Familius, is that the Latin? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the head of the clan, literally clan, the, uh, the Davidson clan society, they have Highland Games and all these Scots groups do that. Um, they not only shared it, but the Clan Davidson Society's newsletter uh, gave my contact information, said I was working on material on Peter Davidson. So, you know, I got a lot of recognition. And finally, another family member I asked tentatively, I said, do I have the permission of the family? Because who else am I going to ask? Davidson, I went to his grave. He wasn't moving around or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was decomposing too. So he had that in common with Darwin and, and Beethoven uh, and a few other people, I guess. Um, and I got permission to carry on the work of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light. And not exclusively. I mean, other people, you know, like all of these things, there's no lineage that is pure or anything. But I do my share of that because I consider it to be seminal. It comes originally from P.B. Randolph. By the way, I do have a, a new little monograph. I won't call it a book. On... Um, uh, on P.B. Randolph's secret teachings, which has some of the same material that's in the back of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light book. Uh, so if you can't get that, you definitely can get the P.B. Randolph thing. So uh, from the usual booksellers, and I don't know what it's going for, but uh, um, it might be useful to you because... 50 years before Crowley, uh, this was what was being taught about sexual magic by uh, Randolph and then by uh, Davidson and Burgoyne, who had a falling out, by the way. Hmm. Um, Burgoyne left uh, their utopian group in North Georgia and went to California and wrote the first volume of uh, the Light of Egypt, a fairly famous book of that period. And then after he died, he wrote the second volume. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. It was trans-channeled, and it has his name on the cover. <laughs> I, I, would, I would give a little less credence to volume two than mm -hmm. to volume one. Uh, Burgoyne was a bit of a, a, a Edward Kelly to Dr. D uh, sort of. Uh, in that relationship. So mm -hmm. let me see, do I have anything else? Yes, there's a, um, the book that was published and then disappeared because the publisher was my agent for that book. Uh, it was called The Roots of Modern Magic. I don't even own a copy, 1700 to 2000. It's a little dated now for obvious reasons. But I think it is probably the best historical work that I've ever done. But it was only available for a short period of time because um, the publisher, 
known as the Red Bishop because I think he was a member of the Workers' World Party or whatever. He absconded with his wife's life savings. Uh, the um, church funds from his uh, New York Gnostic, whatever it was, and has disappeared. And uh, it's still available, but you know, it's it's no longer my book. Um, I I told Amazon, hey, are you still sending the checks to that address in New Jersey because Dustin has disappeared completely. I don't know if he was in trouble with the mob or his uh, one of the quaint little groups of communists out there in the universe or um, whether he, um, uh, you know, had taken out a loan, but he basically stole the church funds, stole his wife's funds, and basically stole mine because I said, if you're sending royalty checks to him, I don't know where he is and you don't know, so why don't you send them to me? And they <laughs> said, we can pull the book, but we can't transfer the name because of uh, Bezos on high. So. Hmm. I don't. I really don't know. So there is a new edition of that coming out with new material in it. Uh, I probably will do an introduction that kind of updates it for the last 20 years. Um, and that's in the works from Blue, Blue Star Press. Excellent. But Complete Secret Cipher is the going thing right now because, mainly because of Hellier. Hmm. I mean, you know, so... Uh, and I think Hellier is the coming trend among serious people who really want to explore things in an honest way, even when they don't work out in the way that they expect it, yeah. which is, you know, that's commendable. Magic. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's, that's magic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Alan, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, like yeah, I said, we'll, so much. we'll have you back on sooner rather than later. Um, and uh yeah because we've still got so much to cover with you which is which is always good um but yeah thanks a lot and um we'll see you soon i hope i will be delighted to come back this is a very literate show which is more than well i can't say that because they won't invite me back (laughs) i can plug my books but, you know, I get questions like, so what are UFOs? Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Greenfield. And we're back. As always, Mr. Greenfield delivers. Um less OTO centric this time um, which is good um, but we really didn't actually hit on one of the major things I wanted to talk to him about so it's quite likely that we'll have him back on again sooner rather than later Um, I want to talk to him about Men in Black I want to talk to him about some more paranormal stuff Um, you know there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk to Mr Greenfield about Um, so yeah and if you want to us to ask him any particular questions or in general if you want to ask to ask our guests questions i need to figure out a way of um communicating with you guys i'm thinking of discord maybe discord or i'm possibly thinking of 
make oh, we have a facebook group but it, it's a very strange group i don't quite know how it works i think i might have set up the wrong you have to set it up in this weird way and i think i might have set it up wrong so i've never had any luck communicating with people that way so um i mean you can always email me ken at sittingnow.co.uk if you've got any ideas of ways you'd like us to communicate um but yeah you know we're we're looking into it all we're all busy behind the scenes so uh doing stuff to you know improve that experience but uh like i said earlier check us out on instagram at sitting now check us out on youtube sitting now and if you want to um you, know, you can find ulysses black's on there somewhere i think he's at ulysses black and i'm at ken eakins um it's e-a-k-i-n-s people always get that wrong um but yeah i'm really enjoying being back in the podcasting saddle again um we've got a really good interview lined up for next week i'm not gonna jinx it by telling you who it is yet we haven't quite got our kind of backlog schedule in place yet before where i can start sort of bragging about the guests we have in place yet but we're working on it um we've got a few booked actually they're all pretty cool we're trying to kind of not just do a cult episode so we're going to be doing looking at some other stuff as well i know we've been a bit occult heavy um for the last few episodes um we're planning to you know we're not gonna abandon the occult at all in fact we've got a few occult guests booked as well um but we are interested in other topics and always have been on this show so um variety is the spice of life and uh, we're gonna continue that um one thing i should have mentioned earlier as well is you'll notice the audio quality was pretty wonky <laughs> on the alan greenfield episodes it's because we didn't have the tech we now have in place uh, we have much more professional recording equipment now which is really nice actually um and we're just waiting for the internet to go in at my studio so that i can we can start doing um some video versions of this podcast which is really i'm really looking forward to i think that's gonna be really good fun um but anyway i'm kind of waffling i always waffle down on these podcasts but anyway um we'll see you next week with another episode of right where you're sitting now Bye-bye.